Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. So inshallah we're going to continue with our uh, discussion of the topics in this book called With the Heart and Mind by uh, Sheikh Mikhail Smith. And we reached the section on moral intelligence. And last week if you're able to make it, uh, we spoke about Moral intelligence, com- you know, comprising of two parts. Number one, the ability to identify what is actually moral. And then the second part is to then hold yourself to that moral standard. To ensure that you follow the standard of morality that you believe to be true. Uh, and we spoke a little bit about the challenges with really understanding morality in the society that we live in and the need for objective morality and if you don't have a standard of objective morality how it's really hard to even have conversations how it's hard to have policies um, and we spoke a little bit about that inshallah this week we want to speak a little bit more in detail about some of the elements of moral intelligence uh, and the framework that the author uses and will use inshallah is is a five-part uh, framework. The first part, we're going to speak about the first part today, which is a moral compass. It is the moral compass. And so that's, in a sense, that is the inner understanding of what is moral and the ability to attune oneself towards that. And so let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. And there's going to be layers to this, inshallah, but hopefully it'll make sense. And so, a person's inner moral compass. That's the idea of, throughout my life, how do I navigate the different situations I find myself in? And pinpoint what the best course of action is in any given situation. Do I rely on what people around me tell me? And that would be an external moral compass. I'm just basing everything I do on the people around me. That's not what's being asked of us as Muslims. The idea is that we as Muslims understand within ourselves what is actually moral, and then we choose that in every situation. Okay, to what are we trying to calibrate our moral compass? To what? And the answer would be truth. The answer is truth, with a capital T. In our lives, to calibrate our actions towards what we understand to be truth. That's why we have to seek truth. And part of the problem with our education system today is, much of what we've studied did not involve the pursuit and the seeking of truth. Many of the fields that we've studied had no discussion of truth. Because it wasn't about that. You know, Aristotle, when he divided the sciences and categorized them, he divided them into three. Theoretical sciences, Productive sciences and practical sciences. 
So theoretical sciences, among the theoretical sciences, one of them is metaphysics. It's metaphysics. Uh, and first philosophy. To study, you know, deeper meanings, to study existence, the nature of existence, to study um, purpose, significance, meaning in life. These are theoretical concepts. Of course, they have very practical implications. We don't study that in engineering because that's not the focus at all. In medicine, that's not the focus at all. Those would be considered more productive sciences. Sciences where you're trying to create something, produce something in the world. And so many of us were pushed in the direction of a, of a, a, a subject of study, a field of study that involved furnishing the world. The seeking of truth involves furnishing your soul. Understanding what truth is in life, what my purpose is, why I'm here, how I got here, where I'm going. Those are questions for many of us that, that never came up in any of the subjects we studied, on any line of any textbook that we studied. Do you get what I'm saying here? And so, that doesn't mean you have to study it formally, but if for 16 years nobody ever raises these questions, no teacher raises these questions for you, um, you maybe your parents didn't even have these conversations, these are considered like the big questions of life. You know what I'm talking about? Like the big questions of life. Then it's, it's going to be very difficult for you to realize the need to ask those questions. And interestingly, what pushes people usually to ask these questions is, uh, is tribulations they go through, the difficulties they go through. Right? Suffering will make a philosopher out of everybody. Suffering will make a philosopher out of everybody. And sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to step back and really ask those questions. That, Look, man, I'm chasing this. I'm doing this. I'm trying to pursue this. But hold up. Like, all these preliminary questions about my existence, I haven't even, forget answered. I haven't even entertained those questions. And so then a life lived in the pursuit of truth is not a thing. It's a life lived in the pursuit of pleasure. It's, a life, it's like hedonism. It's a life lived in the pursuit of you know, gratification, making this world a paradise, which is impossible. That's kind of what it becomes then. In the past, the emphasis, and that's why Aristotle in the classical view, Aristotle and others, their view was that the productive sciences and the practical sciences, these came secondary. Because really, like, what are you going to contribute to the world? Of what benefit is it if you have really cultivated and furnished the world around you, but the world within you is impoverished. Of what benefit is it? Right? MashaAllah, it's a, there's a huge house, but the humans within them are absolutely desolate, barren souls. What's the, what's the benefit? Have you ever seen that? Where MashaAllah is a huge home, but nobody in that house is connected to one another. This constant, you know like arguments going on. Of what value is all of that structure? Do you all get where I'm coming from here? And so, if we're going to calibrate our moral compass, it has to be towards truth. It has to be towards truth. And, uh, and we could talk a lot about like that itself, like what does that even mean to, to pursue truth? 
Last week, we, like last week, we spoke a little bit about that. Um, that's to ask those deeper questions. The Quran is there to provide guidance on how to understand that, how to discover the answers. And for many of us, this is like a foreign thing. I'm very serious. It's like a foreign thing. We're so used to doing what just everybody else is doing. We're not comfortable being different and asking like, wait, what's the right thing to do in this situation? What's the best way to approach this? What's the best way for me to be in the world? Do you get it? And this is the challenge because as humans, we do have an innate desire to conform. But then the, the force and the power of truth is I mean, a true education, which puts you in the pursuit of truth. It's called a liberal art. It's, it liberates you from the indoctrination around you. Do you get that? That's why it's called a liberal art. It liberates you from obeying without any critical thought. And if you look at the world today, I would say this is one of the greatest needs we have. It's for people to not merely just follow whatever they see around them, whatever they hear around them. It's to critically think. And as a Muslim, you're a minority. How are you going to follow the majority? Just to start with, how are you going to follow the majority? As a minority. And so immediately you need to be questioning the majority opinion. Because already your belief system is part of the minority. Do you get that? And so to have an uncritical Muslim, I mean, that's a really questionable iman there. Because if you're not questioning what's around you and you're just absorbing it, do you even have an inner moral compass? Do you get what I'm saying? And that's one of the benefits of being a minority in any situation. Is you pause and you don't just take things for granted. Because you often have conflict. You know, a lot of us, show of hands, how many of you growing up will admit at this point, you lived a double life. At school you were somebody else and the way you acted with your friends. And when you came home, you know, the diaspora inside of you came out, mashallah. Show of hands, how many people did that? You know what I'm talking about. It's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing that you live a double life, but it gives you an alternative perspective. In what sense? You don't take for granted the way the people around you are behaving. Because you have another way that you could be in the world. You've already entertained that. It's at home. Imagine the person who life outside of their house and life inside of their house, the morals, the values, everything's the same. To them, that's all they know. For them to be critical about what's happening is very difficult. They don't have an alternative perspective to use. And so then their moral compass just becomes whatever they see around them. As Muslims, being an outsider, it's not always comfortable, but it does give you a unique and fresh perspective. And that's something to be proud of and to take advantage of. And use that to calibrate your moral compass that I'm going to pursue truth. I'm not going to pursue what the majority say necessarily. I'm not going to pursue what is in vogue at the moment. Truth with a capital T. And the Quran guides us towards that. Okay. Now, let's, let's break this down. When truth is what we are seeking, as you search, you know, search, out, for, search out truth, you're going to end up seeing things of value. So for example, let me give you an example. You're trying to understand, okay, one question you would ask is like a deeper question about truth is, well, how did I end up here? How did I end up 
living on earth. Because last I checked, I didn't, sign a, I didn't fill out an application to be here. But somehow I'm here, and you're here, and we're doing this right now. How did we get here? And, to think, and not to think about it like theoretically, but to think about it in a very deep, serious way. And to take that question seriously. And along the way, you're going to start realizing that, wait, those that cannot ever lay claim to having brought me into existence, can they ever be of equal value to the being that brought me, brought me into existence? No. The one to whom I owe my entire existence is of much greater value than those that can never make that claim. Okay, when I look at the universe and where did this come from? And asking questions about how it came to be the way it is. The one who brought it into being will of course be of much greater value, the highest value compared to everything else that can't claim that they created the mountains, that they created the sun. When you're born, you don't have any system of evaluation. You don't evaluate the world. You don't come with a pre-programmed you know, evaluation of the world. As a young child, when you're one year old, six months old, you know, a check of a million dollars and a piece of scrap paper are the same. None has more value than the other. As you go through life, you begin to assign value to things. You begin to assign value to concepts. You, be, you begin to assign value to relationships. And in this way, I mean, that's what socialization is. And that's the question we have to ask is, up until now, what value system have we imbibed? Not chosen. Let me be very frank with you. I don't care who you think you are. You didn't choose your value system. You were too uncritical to do that. Your prefrontal cortex had not developed to the point that you could be critical about it. And so you necessarily absorb the values around you. Okay, hopefully as you got older, you began to question. And that's that journey of seeking out truth. That wait, these were the values that were... And, and, and we have to be really... It's hard, it's hard. Because your values seem so natural to you. They just come like second nature. It's like, it seems so obvious. You ever, you ever, you ever had a conversation with someone who thought it was so obvious? And you're trying to point out, like, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, for example, like, if we talk about autonomy, autonomy, we're like, oh, it's a great thing. Why is it a great thing? And it's, it's almost like absurd that I'm asking the question. It's like, you know, I've asked this question to people before, and they're like, their counter, their counter is, well, you don't want to be autonomous? It's like, that's not the point. The point is not whether I want to be or not. The question is the value of, uh, that we place on autonomy. And we place a lot of value on autonomy. And we should understand that uh, in this part of the world, that the value that we place on autonomy. And that's where we find a lot of objections in religion. Because seemingly these things go against our autonomy. You have to respect your parents. No, but I want to do what I want. And so now your autonomy is challenged. Other people in other parts of the world that don't value autonomy the way we do have no, par have no problem with this concept. To them it's like, well, my parents said so, so I'll do it. And we're like, bro, how could you do that? You, and it, to us it's so like absurd that someone would do that. Why? Because the value system that we imbibe just seems so natural and right. But that's what an alternative perspective does for us. It's like, wait, you know, and that's where you ever had people who can't imagine that you might be happy 
choosing to give up your autonomy to God. You know, like, like, why would you choose to wear hijab? Do you get it? Like, in their mind, that you, that's just like against autonomy. God told me, well, you should do you. And like, what? You see, you see the value, the premium placed on autonomy? And no one pauses to say, wait, why should we be so insistent upon autonomy? Okay, sure, maybe with other human beings we can insist upon it, sure. With God? With God? With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No. The believer would say no. In front of Allah, we are servants. And the, the definition of a servant is one who has no autonomy in front of their master. They literally are the property of their master. And that's where you have Muslims really, they struggle. I've had people come to me and they say, look, I know Islam says this, and I, and I believe in Islam, but deep down, psychologically, I'm struggling with this concept. What they're struggling with, if, if they really think about it, is their value system. The teaching of Islam that holds a certain value system, meanwhile, they've imbibed a whole different value system, and so there's a clash going on. And sometimes they don't even realize it. They can't even identify what's going on and why. Does that make sense? And so we want to calibrate in the pursuit of truth, we want to calibrate our beliefs and values towards that, towards that truth. Okay? And so when we even assign value to actions, this action is better than this. This belief system is better than that. You're going to assign value to things. You're going to create a hierarchy of values in your mind. Like it or not, we all do it. And that's how we make decisions in the moment. We choose what we think is of a higher value. And by the way, if I ask you what you think is higher in value, theoretically, you could give me the right answer. The real question is, what do you do? Because theoretically, you could say, yeah, I value this more than that. You could verbally tell me that. In the moment when you're challenged and your actions are now going to choose to do this or that, do you actually choose this that you claim? No, I, I prefer God's commands over everything. What Allah says takes precedent over what people say. And then the marriage comes. And there's the functions there. And what are we doing? Not what God wants us to do. We're doing what the people want us to do. And so verbally we have the right answer. It's a Sunday school answer. Yeah, Allah's commands are number one. But in the moment, our value system comes out in our actions. And we succumb to that. And we do what the people say. Do you understand my point here? And so to build a value system... And a belief system that is aligned with the truth. Okay, proceeding from that, you will then begin to create goals in life. Because you believe that this is important, this is valuable, you will say, I want to accomplish X, Y, Z. Independence is so important to us. That autonomy. So what then? Then my career becomes 100% my focus. Do you understand? This pursuit for a career stems from what? A value system. Where did you get that value system? Who imposed upon you the importance of a career? And how much importance do you want to give it? To the point that you neglect your religious duties? You neglect what Allah has asked you to do? Do you understand? And so some of us will find ourselves in a very awkward position. Because we've imbibed these values from around us. A point comes where you start to realize, no, but I need to devote myself to Allah. But then when you go to devote yourself to Allah, some of the values don't align. And then you're just torn. It's like, I kind of want to be here, but then my inner system won't accept it. What's the way forward? 
the way forward is submission. Islam is about submission. Islam is even when I, when I know something to be the truth, even if there's an inner war within me, I must have the courage and the inner willpower to submit and say, Allah knows best. And I will choose what Allah chooses for me. And that's hard. That's hard. That's why Islam is not easy. Like submission was never easy. That's why, you know when we read the stories about like Abu Jahl? And we're like, bro, what was so hard for Abu Jahl, man? Like you had the Prophet of God in front of you, just accept it. And we're like, man, if I was there, I would just accept it. Easy. Easy there. You have the commands of Allah in front of you every day. You have the, 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 the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in front of you every day. Are you choosing it? Let's not be so confident. We're confident that we would be Abu Bakr in those days. Are we Abu Bakr today? Siddiq. Siddiq is the one who chooses and believes even when the world will tell you it's wrong. Are you Siddiq today? Do you understand that? Because every day we're presented with Allah wants us to do this. And we struggle. Do you understand? We're presented with, well, the Prophet told us to do this, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we say what? We say no. I've never heard this before. It's not what people around me do. You understand? That's what Abu Jahl was saying. Our forefathers didn't say this. Our pride kicks in and we're like, we can't do this. Look, I'm not trying to call nobody Abu Jahl here, okay guys? I'm just saying, sometimes we have this hubris where we think like, no, if I was in that time, bro, I would have just listened to what the Prophet said. You still have what he said in front of you today. Let's not be so confident. Our value systems can really... And so the goals that we form, what are your goals? Not what they should be. What are your goals? When you look at your 24 hours a day, where does your time go into? Maybe your time goes into what? Into your career. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. My point here is not to say that these things are bad. My point is that if you make these decisions without even making the decisions, in a sense that though society around you decides for you, that's not the best way to proceed. Do you get it? Because that's being uncritical. And that's, that's not what, interestingly, someone who is liberated does. Does that make sense? You have to choose for yourself. You have to pause and say, wait, I know everyone's doing this. I know everyone around me is telling me to do this. But like, why should I do that? And maybe at some point you tried. You know, a lot of us may, maybe tried at some point. But what happened? We were shut down maybe. I get that. It happens to a lot of people. But we shouldn't give up. We shouldn't give up on asking those questions. So you will then define your goals in light of your values. And if your values and goals are both aligned with the truth, then you'll live a meaningful, purposeful life. And then your purpose as well. Ultimately, what is my entire life devoted to? That when I die, what did, what did it all mean? If I ask you today, what did it all mean? Well, it meant that I made a lot of money. It meant that I convinced the world that I'm beautiful. What, what did it mean when you died? That's ultimately what you're trying to define with your purpose. The overarching objective and, and telos towards which you're putting everything in your life. Your goals will all contribute to that purpose. And all of that needs to be aligned. The problem, we have this inner war when these are not aligned. Inwardly, I claim, and I really do believe that I need to submit myself to Allah. 
But then my goals, I, ba- I base them on what people around me want. And so I'm going to choose a career that's not in any way conducive to, to me as a Muslim. Or I'm going to choose uh, a path in life or friends. Or I'm going to choose d- different things and aim my life towards things that are not in line with my, what my values are. And that's where people who don't have that alignment can never be happy. Can never be happy. And that's why you'll see people, subhanAllah, may Allah bless them. They build big platforms on, on values that are totally corrupt. And the day comes and they realize, man, I need to change my life. And it takes immense courage. You know, millions of followers that they built up. And all of a sudden, what? I mean, they risk losing sponsorships. They risk losing all of that. And they say, no, my values are my Lord, my deen, and they change. And that's immense. That is immense da'wah. And that takes immense courage. And, but that gives peace. Why? Because suddenly everything aligns. The whole time probably their values were towards Allah. But they just, they just ended up choosing a path that everyone else was choosing. And it took them far. And the day realized, they realized, man, my values and my goals and where I'm going are just getting further and further apart. And inside I'm torn. It's, it's interesting how we describe that, right? We say, I felt torn inside. It's, inter- it's a really interesting choice of words. It's like, like, yeah, there's parts of me that are over here and parts of me over here. And when you can bring them together, even though you don't have the same outward success, perhaps, I mean, you might, you might continue to have that success, but you might not. But you have inner peace. Why? Because you're no longer torn. Do you understand? It's all in alignment. And finally, your goals, your purpose, all of that will inform your daily behaviors. And so there's many ways to, and we could talk a lot about this, but it's Salatul Isha time. Um, I'll just give you two points here. Number one, when it comes to your values, if you want to identify your values, all right, look at your goals. Look at where you spend a lot of time. Look at your daily behaviors. Those behaviors are probably anchor or you know, uh, in line or, or geared towards fulfilling some goals. Those goals reflect probably certain values. That's one way to do it. Another way to identify your values, look at your role models. Who do you admire? And what is it about them that you admire? And that'll tell you a lot about what you actually value. Because you can lie to yourself. That's the crazy thing about the human being. The human being can lie to themselves. That's a scary thought. What if I'm just lying to myself the whole time? That's a scary thought. But the people you admire, like if you're just honest with yourself about who you admire, who you follow, whose content you're always looking at, that'll tell you a lot about what you actually value, not what theoretically and verbally you'll tell people you value. And so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq to really understand uh, what our moral compass is and calibrate it towards the truth. Ameen ya rabbil alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala sayyidina Muhammad. أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير